For many years before I started at this congregation, Chris Friedrichs has always given the Yom Kippur afternoon talk. He is, for many of us, our professor and very much our teacher. And a couple of years ago, when Rhoda died, we named this talk in her blessed memory. We continue to think of her, Chris, every time that we see you because we can hardly imagine the two of you separated. You were both our teachers, and we invite you now to share with us teaching from you, but also we know from her and in honor of her memory. I am honored once again to have been asked to make some remarks during the afternoon service of this most solemn day of our year, when we are summoned to move our thoughts from our own sins to the vastly graver sins that have been committed century after century against our people. And I am touched that once again, this portion of our service is named in memory of my wife a woman whose outlook on life was deeply shaped by the fact that two of her grandparents were among the six million of our people whose lives were destroyed during the Shoah. Our Machsor reminds us, as it did again earlier this afternoon, that Persecution of the Jews is almost as old as the very existence of the Jewish people. But never was there a more concentrated and more brutal attempt to extinguish the Jews of the earth than during the Shoah. We have heard these stories so often how can we bear to hear them again? But then again, how can we dare not to hear them again? We hear other stories too, of course. We hear stories of heroic resistance by Jews and non-Jews alike against the decrees and the actions of the Nazis. We hear of Jews who against incalculable odds saved their lives and the lives of other Jews, or who struggled heroically against their oppressors even though they knew that their own lives were doomed. We hear of Jews who even in the camps themselves managed to mark the coming of Shabbat to hold some pitiful semblance of a Seder. We hear of rescuers, too. As we were reminded last night, almost 27,000 non-Jews are identified by Yad Vashem as the righteous among the nations who risked their lives and often the lives of their own families to rescue Jews. We honor their memory, and we admire their courage. Yet in doing so, we must take enormous care never to say 
that the Shoah was unspeakably terrible, but at least it gave some people the opportunity to perform great deeds of faith or generosity. In fact, no sentence about the Holocaust that includes the phrase, but at least, is morally acceptable. The Shoah was not sent by God as a test. It was instigated by human beings using the free will with which all humans are endowed to do the most evil things that have ever been done. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, redemptive about the Shoah. This does not mean, however, that we cannot talk about acts of courage that happened to have taken place before or during the Shoah. We can learn from everything. So let us think for a few moments about this elusive concept of courage. Courage is in fact a sadly overused term. How often we hear the famous phrase that courage is grace under pressure. But this is not true. Many people may exhibit grace under pressure and we admire them for it. But that is not courage. Courage is really something different. It is doing the right thing, physically or morally, under circumstances of risk. It is the situation of taking a risk to do the right thing because it would be hard to live with oneself if one did not. Courage cannot be taught. Many virtues can be taught, of course. We try to teach our children the virtues of courtesy, of kindness, caring, consideration for others. And we try hard to practice those virtues ourselves. But courage cannot be taught or instilled. Many people go through life exhibiting all the qualities of kindness and caring, but have never been called upon to perform an act of courage. And good for them. One does not need to have shown courage to be a good person. Yet that does not mean we should not record with reverence and respect the actions of Jews and non-Jews alike during the Shoah, which represented true acts of courage. What made these acts into manifestations of courage was that they were undertaken at considerable risk. They were undertaken by people who knew those risks, but felt they could not live with their consciences intact unless they did the right thing. Many people in our own community have owed their lives to acts of courage. Indeed, members of our own congregation have been accounted among them. Older congregants will fondly remember Nadia Kaplan, the mother of Nomi Kaplan. Nadia owed her life to the courage of Chiyune Sugihara, the Japanese consul in Lithuania who risked his career and his future 
by disobeying his superiors and issuing exit visas to Jews desperate to escape from the approaching German army. Or you may remember Clara Lutko, when the Germans ordered Clara and her son to report the next morning to the town square, she instead took her son by the hand and headed into the forests. This was enormously risky. Obeying orders always seemed like the safer option. If she'd been caught, she and her son would have been shot on sight. But she made that quick, impulsive, and courageous decision to take the risk. Turned out to be the right decision. She and her family survived the war, came to Canada, and became longtime members of Temple Shalom. Many of you will also remember Susan Blumen, a beloved member of our shul who, like Nadia, owed her life to the courage of Chione Sugihara. When Susan died, her grandson Sam was spending a year in Australia. Unable to attend Susan's funeral, he sent a moving letter that was read to us at one of the shivas for his grandmother. In it, he recalled what Susan had told him just before he left for Australia. Sam, she said, don't be a hero. Susan knew about true heroism. She owed her life to it. But she also knew the difference between courage and foolhardiness. Real courage involves taking a risk for a reason that makes it worth doing. Allow me to tell two stories from my own family that for me have always embodied the true meaning of courage. One concerns my wife's father, Dr. Hans Lange. I never knew him for he died a number of years before I met Rhoda but I knew his story well. Hans Lange was a Jewish doctor in Berlin. One day in 1936, he woke up to a knock on the door. It was the Gestapo, ordering him to get dressed and come with them. <coughs> As he got dressed, he carefully pinned onto his suit jacket the medals he'd been awarded as a German soldier in the First World War. He was taken to the Gestapo headquarters in Berlin, put in an empty room, and told to wait. That is when he made a snap decision. He simply opened the door, left the room, walked down the corridor looking as confident as he could in his suit with the war medals, and said to a guard, this is my first day here, which was true enough, where can I get a bit of lunch? The guard directed him to a cafe around the corner. So out he went, and within seconds, he started running to the train station, took the next train to the Czech border, waited till nightfall, and crossed the border to freedom. A year later, he made it to New York. In New York, he met a woman. She too was Jewish, and also from Berlin. Eventually, they married. Their daughter was my wife. Though I never knew my father-in-law, I heard much about him. And I will never forget what my mother-in-law once said about her late husband. What she said was this. I always knew what would happen. 
if some group of people here in New York, Puerto Ricans maybe, or some group like that, started to be persecuted the way we were in Germany and became desperate for their lives, he would have insisted that we must hide some in our basement. I would have been terrified, but he would have had the courage and we would have had to do it. Let me tell one more story, one that is much less dramatic, but it is one that I grew up with. I had four grandparents, two Jewish, two not Jewish. My Jewish grandmother and my mother's mother managed to get out of Germany in time, came to New York, which she lived to the age of 95. My Jewish grandfather had a different fate. He lived in France and stayed there until he died in Lyon in January of 1944 under circumstances that have never been fully clarified but are all too easy to imagine. But I also had two non-Jewish grandparents, my father's parents. I never knew them because they died in Germany of natural causes before I was born. But I grew up knowing that I should venerate their memory I knew, of course, that my father had loved his parents, but it was my mother, my Jewish mother, who instilled in her children a deep respect for these Christian grandparents whom we never knew. Let me tell you why. My parents met in Germany after the Nazis came to power. At first, it was still possible for Jews and non-Jews to get together, but after 1935, when the Nuremberg Laws were passed, their relationship had become illegal and they could only meet in secret. They decided to go to the United States where they could get married. My father had actually been denied permission to leave Germany because he had skills that might be relevant for the coming war effort, so making those arrangements was difficult. On top of that, he did not dare tell his parents about his plans because if they were interrogated after his departure, he wanted them to be able to say truthfully that they had no idea. But he also wanted them to meet and know the woman for whom he was going to give up his career and his country. So he asked his parents if he could visit them with a young woman of his acquaintance. Parents lived in a small town in Thuringia, a hotbed of Nazism, the kind of place where spying neighbors always seemed to know who was coming and going, but they said, of course, and my father and mother went. My grandparents knew perfectly well that their visitor was Jewish, but nothing was said about that. They simply extended every form of gracious hospitality, leisurely meals, long walks in the park, agreeable conversations about art and books. Not long afterwards, my mother departed for America and she never saw them again. On the surface, they, this may not sound like anything very courageous. I know that this room is full of people whose sons or daughters have come to your home bringing a friend or partner or spouse of a different religion or ethnicity or way of life. I know that you have welcomed this friend or partner into your home with every form of graciousness and hospitality. Sometimes it may even have been difficult for you to do so. But there is still a difference. 
You did not have to worry that the next morning the Gestapo might knock on your door to interrogate you, or worse. In fact, that did not happen to my grandparents, but it might have. To invite my Jewish mother to their home in 1936 was risky, but it was the right thing to do, and it was, in its own way, an act of courage. Courage cannot be learned, and Susan Blumen was right. There are better things to do in life than to try to be a hero. All of us should spend our lives trying to be more kind or caring or compassionate. But many of us will never be called upon to perform an act of courage. We should be grateful if that is the case. Yet we can admire those who, in some high-risk situation, make the right choice. The 27,000 righteous Gentiles whose names are inscribed at Yad Vashem made the right decision. Actually, in a Europe of half a billion people, at a time when six million Jews were being murdered, 27,000 was not a very large number. But that makes it all the more right to honor their memory, just as we honor the memory of those of our own people who made courageous choices under circumstances that all of us in this room can discuss and describe, but never begin to comprehend. May we go through our lives being spared from the choices that human beings had to make in the 1930s and 1940s. But if such days should ever come again, may God give us the sudden capacity to do the right thing. May he give us courage. Shana Tovah.